Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. So Dave, tell me about that weird black stuff that is all over your face right now as, as you put the headphones on. Is it over right now? Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, so, so here's the, so I, I kind of alluded to the story in the last uh, the last interview. Yeah. So I, you've get, I've got these. I mean, this is great. I love this this booth. I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but one of the things, and it's just the only reason we're bringing it up is because it's related to a story. I run out to grab us a little bit of food in between uh, some interviews that we were doing a while back, and. And I have a pair of uh, older headphones that, that um, you know, they kind of, they disintegrate a little bit every time you wear them, right? And so, uh, and I've got a little bit of stubble going and they leave these black patches, some of which you, you, right there. you've actually cleaned off me in the past, oh, right? Very kind of you. Yeah. So I, I, I go in and I'm, I'm ordering a coffee and, and a sandwich and uh, some cookies. chocolate chip cookies, you know, for you, buddy. And... Uh, and then I, I, you know, since I'm waiting for the sandwich, I'll just use the washroom. And I, and I, but I walk up and I kind of notice, like, like I was thinking, man, I must be looking good. I must have some good energy because I'm noticing, uh, you know, the ladies are looking at me, right? And uh, <laughs> I walk into the bathroom. I got black stuff all over the. <laughs> Do you know what? As as a good friend, I would have told you I did I not see that, David. Oh my god! So I, I, I clean it off and I go back. I go, you could have told me, and then you could tell this poor. Poor, uh, poor young woman was like, I, I didn't notice. I'm like, all right, you didn't well, notice. Listen, it was I, like caked on my face. I promise next week I'll wear those crappy headphones. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So listen, I'm excited for this next interview, yeah. David Meerman Scott, yeah. um, for a number of reasons. One, he's uh, he's definitely an internationally acclaimed uh, dude, who, and he's written a ton of books. He's spoken on all continents three, around the world. Three international bestsellers. I know, incredible. Wow. And I get to meet him at... A conference that I was a panelist on, and uh, anyway, I'll, I'll tell the story once we bring him in. Okay. Um, you know how we've been referencing the Grateful Dead a lot. Yes, last well, you weeks? have been. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, <laughs> in, in response to anything I talk about hockey, mind this you. guy's got a connection to the Grateful Dead. Okay. And uh, that's all I'm going to say. Right. I, I, I'm going to press uh, press uh, Skype. Can, I, actually, why don't you hum your favorite Grateful Dead tune? <laughs> Riding that train. <laughs> Yep. Do, do you know I wrote, I read To Kill a Mockingbird after one of our interviews, just so you know. Yeah, David's here. Hi, David. Greg Hemmings here. How are you, man? I am good, Greg. David, I, I, I need to introduce you to another David uh, who, who's sitting in the voiceover booth with me right now, Dave Vale. Hey, hey Dave. Dave. How are you? Very well. I'm very well. Um, I go by, I, I typically go by Dave. Mom calls me David. So uh, okay. you can make, well, <laughs> Greg, you can you can differentiate us that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Dave, it's been a while, uh, David. We've, uh, uh, we've tried to connect a few times on the podcast. We're excited to, to have you on, onto the boiling yeah. point. Uh, I was just about to uh, tell Dave the story about how we met. And I'm wondering if I can flip it around and get you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little hint if you don't completely remember. It was it was at the, uh, the, the uh, I can't remember the name of the conference, but I was a panelist. You were speaking. And you had a question for the audience about, either, you know, you had a Grateful Dead question of all things. Yeah. So, was, that, was, that, was that the one um, in um, St. John? That's that's exactly the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, why don't you tell, tell Dave a quick story about how we met? Okay. So, um, and are we doing the podcast now? Oh, we're yeah, on. we're live. We're on, Sorry, we should have oh, told you right. that. Yeah, yeah, we're about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, so I was doing this um, event, and one of the things that I like to do, if the audience seems right, is I like to be able to find out if there's any Grateful Dead fans in the room. So what I did was I went um, around the room. I said, basically, are there any Grateful Dead fans in the room? A bunch of people raised their hands. But then we get down to to uh, figure out who's the real Grateful Dead fans when I ask um, how many of you have seen the band in concert and then anyone who has asked them to stand up and then 
five or more shows, 10 or more shows, until we get to the point where somebody is the winner as having seen the most Grateful Dead live shows. Now, I can't remember how many you've seen, Greg, but I, I think you won the I, I, I won a free the copy of my book for being the um, most prolific Grateful Dead concert goer in, yes. in that group. Well, Dave, David, you'll be happy to know that he, <laughs> Greg has been peppering me and torturing me with uh, Grateful Dead questions, and I'm a neophyte. I wouldn't even have stood up for, you know, have you been to one show? So, oh, right. so I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. And it, it's funny also, David, because... Uh, I'm not a huge hockey fan, even though I'm from Canada. Um, right. And David keeps on putting me on the spot for asking me these co- hockey questions, hockey, like, hockey references, and I just slammed back to him. I was like, "Well, what was your favorite Dead yeah. show?" So yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, yeah. Uh, there's there's Good far there's far more to uh, David Miriam and Scott than the Grateful Dead, but I do want well, to jump in. How many show? How many shows was it? I forgot. Well, here's the thing. I and it's funny. Last the last week episode, we talked about this briefly as well. Is my first shows were further and then the Dead. So I'm post Jerry. So Sadly. That's okay. That uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. But and I've seen tons of Phil Lesh and uh, you know, uh, of course, Rat Dog and you know. So I, I, as a, a fellow that got out of high school in 1995, I feel I did okay. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. And, and um, by the way, if you ever want to meet all the guys, just write a book about them. It's been um, it's been pretty cool to have a chance to inter- meet and interact and spend some time with them. I uh, most recently in um, August went to um, a Disco Biscuits show where Mickey and Mickey and Billy were playing with them. Oh, fant- that would have been fant- stellar. Show. Yeah, it was great, and they did a bunch of dead tunes. It was wonderful. And, and, and what, so, a, what a cool connection, too, of kind of this, this new wave of uh, electro jam music, exactly. you know, giving homage to, to the guys who began and, it all. And, and they, um, you know, Disco Biscuits in, in college listened to the dead nonstop, and then here they are playing with the two drummers from the Grateful Dead. So I had a chance to go back and spend some time with them backstage before the show, which was pretty cool. That is really cool, and it's actually a nice segue a little bit into what <clears throat> what you're all about with this, uh, uh, as an author and as a as a strategist and a, and a marketer is um, as an author you have positioned yourself in, in this one particular case as a Grateful Dead fan uh, in in a position where you can share brilliant marketing lessons from uh, none other than the Grateful Dead uh, that does two things it inspires your readers but it also injects you right into uh, into the hands of, uh, of, of musical legends, you know? So uh, why don't you just really quickly tell us about the book? I loved reading it. I tweeted you right after I oh, finished reading you. it. And, uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I I like writing about things that are enjoyable to me. I mean, I you know, I, I don't write marketing books or sales books. I basically write stories about things that I think are interesting. Um, in all of my books, I've written 10. And Marking Lessons from the Grateful Dead was, was one of two that I wrote that was on one specific sort of one huge specific case example story. So Grateful Dead, you know, my friends and I in the, I went to my first show in 1979 and that was actually in the Keith and Donna era, believe it or not. And I am a Donna fan for the record, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) She's actually really cool. And if you ever have a chance to see her in in concert, if you haven't already, she's good. So uh, (laughs) she's still around. She's still around. Uh, uh, So, um, I, I always found it intriguing that the Grateful Dead was like one of the few bands that allowed fans to record their concerts. And I also found it intriguing that there were one of the few bands that people would go to multiple shows. They would go, if the Grateful Dead was in town, and I live in Boston, you know, in the Boston for a three-day run, people would go to all three shows. And that never happened with other bands where you would go to one Rolling Stones show, for example, or one of the Who shows. And I always wondered, sort of, what are they doing here? What's going on? And of course... We know uh, for fans that the band allowed the, allowed people to record the music because basically they they just said, well, sure, you know, let's do the right thing and allow them to record the music. But then they also every show was different, and that's why people wanted to record multiple shows. Uh, they they did a different set list every uh, every evening. You never knew what they're going to play. They never you never knew how they're going to play. You never knew if a particular song was going to be five minutes or fifteen minutes, and because uh, it was all jam band world. So um, then I was, um, 
uh, talking to my friend Brian Halligan. He's the CEO of a company called HubSpot. And Brian and I were you know, chit-chatting about, and he's also a Grateful Dead fan. He's seen 100 shows. I've seen about 50. And Brian and I were like, yeah, you know, we should maybe do a webinar, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. That sounds cool. So we came up with some other things that the Grateful Dead does. Um, you know, they they, um, they really treat their fans uh, in, as as part of the show, not not sort of so much audience and and um, and band, but kind of like we're all in this together. If you give us energy, we'll give it back, kind of thing. We came up with some other things too, and so we did a webinar, marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead, and it was the most attended webinar that HubSpot had ever done up to that point. I mean, there were thousands of people on this webinar. We're like, whoa, what's going on here? So, and I we decided to do a book about marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead, and came up with a number of different other ideas in it around how modern business people, entrepreneurs, marketers, um, employees of even big companies can use Grateful Dead style ideas to market their business. Now, um, fast forward to this past weekend. Um, I, um, I, I, I was spent the weekend in York, Maine, four day weekend, actually Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, I built a wooden surfboard at a, com- <sighs> at a know, company I know the place. called Grains, you know it, grain yeah. surfboards. So I walk, I walk into grain surfboards. I signed up um, a couple of weeks earlier to take this four-day course where you walk in and you get a bunch of wood and working with grain, the grain surfboards um, experts, you end up learning how to build a surfboard. By the end of it, you've got a surfboard that's essentially done. They have to do some finish work to it. But um, I walk in and they're, they're cranking the dead. I'm like, what's going on here? You guys like the dead? Oh, they listen to the Grateful Dead constantly as they're working. And I... Um, in Maine, right? And so um, what was interesting to me was how many of the ideas in marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead these guys use, and they had never heard of the book. So number one, they actually teach people how to make wooden surfboards, but their business is making wooden surfboards. It's like every other business person would say, no, you would never do that. You would never invite people off the street into your shop and give them away all of your secrets on how you are the pioneer of these hollow wooden surfboards that are made in the style of of traditional boat building. But here they are saying, well, sure, you know, come on in, have check out what we do. And, you know, we're the pioneers and, and, you know, you you could go and take their knowledge, the knowledge they deliver to you and build and create your own wooden surfboard building company. It's a very grateful dead style approach to marketing, which is um, give it all away um, because that will generate more fans. They, um, they constantly share on social media about what they're doing. You know, much like the Grateful Dead, I believe, started one of the first social networks even before Mark Zuckerberg was born with, uh, you know, the people who ta- traded these tapes. So I just found it fascinating. And I gave them a copy of the book, Marking Us with the Grateful Dead, and they're like, whoa, check this out. It's a book about us. You know, I just thought it was really interesting to me that here is this company and, and um, ha- doing – so many things exactly like the dead does. And here, and just another example, they bring people on tour. Literally, they, they actually tour California in this truck, the grain surfboards truck. And they do these four day classes in remote locations far away from the headquarters in Maine. You know, it's almost like you go on tour with them, just like you go on tour with the dead. Anyway, I found that there's many, many different companies that can be incredibly successful using the ideas of this iconic band that was active uh, from 1965 until 1995. So, so David, for those of us who are not big, you know, dead, deadheads, I guess, deadheads. or dead fans <laughs> or whatever, um, but can, can appreciate what you're describing, because I mean, I have a little knowledge, right? Although I have, I can't say I've experienced it personally. What was it and, and I'm sure the book covers, and I unfortunately have not read the book, and I need to, I'm, because this is fascinating to hear this. What do you think, like, like it sounds like they were so far ahead of the, the, the time. Well, they were so far ahead of the times in terms of... Pioneers. Of, yeah, complete pioneers in terms of um, how they shared their content, right? Right. Um, what what right. was it that, like, did you get a sense of what the, you know, how did that philosophy start? You know, because it was it was clearly very different than the other bands of the day. 
I actually had a chance to ask Bob Weir that exact question, and Bob Weir is one of the guitarists for the Grateful Dead, and uh, he said basically, and I'm paraphrasing, not quoting him here, but he said basically that um, people were bringing, were, were smuggling recording gear into shows, which they did with with all sorts of different bands. I mean, people would say, you know, let's try to see if we can get a recording of the Rolling Stones show or the Pink Floyd show or whatever. And they were trying to smuggle equipment into the Grateful Dead shows. And then after a while, um, and, and, and the Grateful Dead never really did anything to police it. You know, they're like, what the hell? You know, someone wants to bring in a recording gear. What, you know, what are we going to do about it? So then a word got around that the dead wasn't going to bust you if you brought in your recording gear. Um, and then they started to bring these massive setups. Like people would bring heavy, you know, big um, uh, recording devices and then even microphone stands. And it got to the point where there were so many microphone stands in the shows that it was disturbing people people's sight lines. So then the band, and this would have been in the early 80s, the band actually created taper seats. It was seats that were located right right behind the soundboard, which was the right which was the best place for sound quality to make a recording. But um, if they grouped everyone who wanted to tape together in one place, all the microphone stands would be located in one little forest, and it wouldn't disturb the other people. So basically, what Weir said was that they were trying to do the right things by right things by way of their fans. Number one, hey, if you wanted to record the show, why not? We'll let you. And number two. We don't want to bother other people, so let's make it as convenient as possible for those people who do want to tape them. And then they just had one one basic ground rule, which was that you weren't allowed to sell the tapes you made. You could either give them away or trade them uh, or use them for your own enjoyment, but you couldn't sell them. Um, so it was a very kind of let's do the right thing approach. And I think, you know, I think all businesses can learn from the idea of doing the right thing. And and by the way, um, uh, Greg, you know, w one thing that was fascinating to me and Brian was that non-Grateful Dead fans like the book in many ways more than Grateful Dead fans because Grateful Dead fans already are aware of some of the things that are written about in the book, but non-fans are not. And, and what's particularly emblematic about that is the Grateful Dead never toured in Japan, yet the Japanese edition of Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead outsold the English edition of the book. We sold, we sold, we sold 50,000 copies in the Japanese language. <laughs> wow, I, I know, it's, it's crazy. And, the, and, and most Japanese have never even heard of the band. So um, I would submit that to you as evidence that you don't have to be a Grateful Dead fan to, uh, to, to, to enjoy it. Enjoy reading the book and learning some ideas. Yeah, and, about, and, 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 and there's two, there's two things. One, Dave, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the book along that uh, that David prized me. It's a phenomenal read, uh, great airplane read. Um, <clears throat> the marketing uh, lesson really that I took away, David, from the Grateful Dead is they built community and they served the community by giving the community what they wanted, and in turn that community shared. And the the whole concept of, of allowing something to go viral happened because exactly of that right. connection between the, uh, the the content creator and building and serving that community. And your book really illustrates that in a fantastic way. Would that be your your big takeaway from the dead? I and, think I think that's a very very good takeaway. And there's subtle there's subtle other you know things that we talked about, but that's that's pretty much it. And then I would go back to this example of grain surfboards, and I guess you're familiar with them. Um, but they did the same things. They're they um, they are creating a community. Um, they're creating a community by being open. Uh, again, I'm 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 dumbfounded by the fact that they let people in their factories and teach them how to make these surfboards. Yet they're a company that makes the surfboards. It seems so freaking counterintuitive. And, and that's the same thing with the Grateful Dead, allowing fans to bring in recording gear to record the concerts. It's so counterintuitive, and almost everybody would say it's a bad idea. And all, almost everybody would say it would be a bad idea to teach people every single step that they need in order to create these surfboards. And, and, and essentially, you create people who can compete with you. But in fact, in both cases, it builds these incredible communities that gets the word out about people. Do you, you know what comes to mind is um, is when I when I hear about just the openness and the of these artists. Um, and I think of, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, you know, what, what could we contrast that with in terms of, 
you know, the, the stories about Metallica in the early days seems like such a contrast where they wanted to, as far as I could tell anyways, and I'd, I'd like your uh, opinion on this, but in, in terms of who are the industries out there and, and that are really adopting this, you know, this idea of, you know, full-on collaboration, um, you know, and, and what industries do you see that would be taking more of the, let's lock all our content down and, and put paywalls all around stuff? Like, where, what, what do you see out there, David? Um, yeah, I mean, I think interestingly, um, there's a number of different companies that are, or industries that are doing, um, various bits and pieces of these. I mean, I look at the whole healthcare field as being appallingly awful, at least, at least the American healthcare system. Uh, I hear better things about the Canadian healthcare system, but, um, I mean, you can't get any information out of your doctor unless you have an appointment and you physically go and see your doctor. They will not send you an email and just give you a little piece of advice or point you in the direction of a website or something. They just don't do it. Basically, the healthcare industry is built on the fact that I went to, you know, somebody went to school for 30 years. And by the way, my, my daughter is currently planning on going to medical school. So here I am talking about, about what she wants to do. But, you know, here, here are these people who went to school for a very long time to become well-educated. And then as soon as they, they end up getting their degree, um, they, they don't, they, they just don't engage. They don't provide that information unless you pay them for it. And, and the pharmaceutical companies are equally bad. Um, the healthcare providers, the insurance company, the entire industry is built around, um, we're not going to give you any information. Um, and, and if we are, you're going to have to g- jump through hoops to get it. You have to make an appointment. You have to, um, if you go on a website, you have to fill out forms. We're not going to give you the good stuff. Um, you know, and I recognize that doctors aren't going to give diagnoses um, over email. I get that. But, you know, certainly they can point people in the right direction. So um, I would say as an industry, the healthcare industry has a hell of a long way to go. That, that is a really good example. I and actually, something that's um, in terms of uh, uh, a country that we're both familiar with through David Alston, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, we, there's this big push here in New Brunswick, David, around um, creating a digital society, and mm. and loosely, uh, loosely basing, uh, you know, or at least being informed by what's happening in Estonia. And, oh right, 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 right. Yeah, and so one of the fascinating things I learned related to the healthcare system from. Uh, a workshop that you and I both attended, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think you find very interesting, David. Is um, one of the things is is this idea that you know y- y- the information is the citizens' information. You know, it's your information and your right. health information. Right. And in fact, right. you grant access to to your information. You give physicians in Estonia access to your information. Isn't that fascinating? It is brilliant. And the and the and the streamlines things. And they even like they were talking. And I mean, we're 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 learning about this through a, another party. So I don't know. The, the the full story, but they're even talking about the physicians having debates about you know when a when a um, uh, results come in from a from a test, um, do you do you stop do you make sure you you have the the patient in first or do you post it in their in their you know oh right 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 right, right. where 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 they can where they essentially their space um, right. digitally and they they concluded that well it's the patient's information. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Interesting. Yeah. Where, where, where? I'm, and, and again, I'm not sure about Canada, but we're no, in this Canada's country. Canada's the same. Canada's the same they way. Would, they would, they would not do that. They would, they would want to have you in, and da 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 da. Meaning Canada's the same way as the it'd states. It'd be basically the doc, the the, Amer- the American doctor would say, "This is my information to deliver to you." Yeah, you, you got it. And because, and, and again, that that uh, philosophically is the difference between the American medical system and the Canadian, and then even further. Uh, to more of a socialistic system in Estonia. Um, and it's interesting, David and Dave, uh, we shot a documentary in Estonia before Christmas. Oh, and cool. uh, I'm going to send it to you. It's not released in the U.S. yet. It's called Code Kids. We, yeah. uh, we filmed it for uh, the Canadian market on CBC. Uh, we will have an American release soon, and we'll definitely let you know. I'm going to send you a personal copy with a password on it. And, uh, oh, that but would be it great. Is, it is so cool to see what's happening in Estonia and Finland, but Estonia specifically because of this whole thing of Every citizen owns their information. So check this out. If you get pulled over by a cop, um, the police officer is going to go into the database, into your personal profile, uh, is going to check, are you, do you have a criminal record? Do you have this, that, yeah, the yeah. other thing? And you know, later on that night, you check it up. You're like, oh my gosh, this, the police force was looking into my profile. 
It is 100% open system, and they've got nice. they've got this protection group around it that protects the e, uh, the e identity of the citizens in a way that it's uh, um, uh, it cannot be abused. The government cannot actually uh, turn this information off. Like it's an amazing system. The the other thing that struck me about Estonia, I, I had a speaking gig there a couple of years ago, is um, is how number one, there's Wi-Fi hotspots everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, you know, you, you, you can get a free connection almost anywhere, at least when I was there. And then the second thing is that the connections are much faster than I have uh, experienced in almost any other part of the world. Um, and it's, it's, it shows that the infrastructure is important. You know, if you have great infrastructure in place um, and you, you, you essentially give people the tools to be successful, to create companies, to build um, businesses, to, um, to become entrepreneurs. And, you know, in, in, in my country, and I, I assume the same thing as in Canada, I mean, all that stuff's locked down. You have to pay a lot of money for it. And it means if you're not very wealthy, wealthy you don't have internet connection. Uh, but in, in a place like Estonia, um, if you're not very wealthy, you can just suck it down from wherever you are and um, have the raw materials to, to create a business or become an entrepreneur. It's fantastic. Yeah, very cool. I mean, in fact, it's a, it really is a human right, you know, as, as far as... Uh, that's the way I would look at it, yeah. And Estonia does call it a human right. Like, in, access to Internet is, is a human right in Estonia. It's, right. it's policy. Really? Yeah, okay. Beautiful. I didn't... I, I, I assumed it was policy just because they're... The connections were everywhere. Yeah. So, so just shifting a little bit to, well, I'm I'm curious. So we we we, you know, you're very clear, and you you know, kind of a it's a hot topic. You know, I mean, both we could go on and on around, you know, the, the healthcare insurance and and uh, right to your own private your own information, and you know, and all the the debate around that. What who do you see? What what industries are you do you see doing a great job of collaborating and and creating open space? Um. I, I, I think I would point to some um, of the technology business, software businesses, um, you know, just creating a whole bunch of information, creating um, community. Um, I would point to HubSpot, you know, and I guess it's no um, coincidence that uh, my co-author Mark, from Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, Brian Halligan, is the CEO of HubSpot, a company he co-founded back in 2006. They just went public on, on the New York Stock Exchange two weeks ago. Um, so they went from nothing in 2006 to being a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange in 2014, a remarkable run. Um, essentially, they create tons and tons and tons of free information uh, and and put it out there for anybody to access. And they have something some crazy number of millions of people who have accessed their free content. It's information about marketing and sales and social media and so on, and how to become a better marketer, how to become a better salesperson and so on. Um, great, great free content. And they provide that free to all sorts of people. And as a result, they build this they built this massive community. And then they happen to sell some software products on the back of it. They've got about 11,000, I forget the exact number, something like that, customers. I'm on the advisory board uh, of HubSpot. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. And I think there are some other um, technology businesses, software businesses that are also uh, doing a good job with, um, with content. And, uh, you know, it's very much Grateful Dead style. And I think Brian... Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would I would suggest that he probably gives has given lots of thought to this book we wrote together and what lessons he can learn from it and how they can create a business that does some of the things the Grateful Dead did and basically providing tons of information for free is is one of the most important. What what's required in your and, and just so by way of context, I'm a, I'm an executive coach. I have a coaching company. We get a number of coaches. We coach leaders, and mm -hmm. um, so I'm always curious for, on the leadership side. So so uh, there's an organization that wants to adopt these principles of you know marketing more like the Grateful Dead, and you know in this whole I'm going to just call it a very collaborative environment uh, for for lack of better words. What's required from leadership, in your opinion, David, to to actually see this happen? Um, great question. So one of the things that really struck me and, and Brian as we were writing this book is we, we looked at um, we looked at how the Grateful Dead works together and the Grateful Dead works together where they 
each member of the band is very, very different. They have very different backgrounds. Um, you know, Jerry comes from kind of a bluegrass sort of background. Phil Lesh, the bass player, comes from a, a background of classical music. Um, for example, Mickey Hart's father was a drummer. He grew up as a drummer, as, you know, a drummer, drummer through and through. Um, and and they've, they come from these various backgrounds. They have, they have different strengths. They, you know, they're, all, they're not all sort of rock musicians, but they came from very different places. And um, on stage... Um, the whole jam band thing, um, they never really know where the music's going. They trust each other and take it there. So this idea of, this idea of trusting, this idea of people coming from different backgrounds. And at the same time, the Grateful Dead trusted their fans. You know, they trusted their fans to not sell those tapes that they made at shows. They trusted their fans um, to um, create and run this sort of ad hoc community. And so I think that that idea of trusting your employees, trusting your coworkers, trusting your customers is one that a lot of companies struggle with, you know, and, and um, I point back to Brian, um, Brian, Brian's company, for example, they don't have a vacation policy. You know, every company I've ever worked for and, and every company I've ever heard of has a has a vacation policy. You know, you're allowed two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is, a vacation, and you have to get permission from your boss, and then you go take vacation. Brian said, you know, the hell with that. We don't have a vacation policy. His policy, and it's clearly stated, is do the right thing. And do the right, do the right thing when it comes to vacation policy means if you want to take a week, you take a week. If you want to take Friday off, you know, every Friday in the summer off, you take every Friday in the summer off. If it's snowing out and you don't feel like um, uh, you can get into work safely, you work from home. If it's snowing out and your kid has to stay home from school, you work from home and you just do the right thing. You don't have to ask permission and you don't have to um, fill out a form or, 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 or adhere to any policy. So I think from a management perspective and I think from the way that you run a company, I, I think you need, I think we need a lot more trust. Um, there's just so many rules and regulations and so many companies, you, you know, you sit down for your first day at work and you, you get a manual tossed at you and here's how you operate. Yeah, isn't that interesting talking about rules and regulation and the dead was so good at throwing that out the back door, you know, uh, <laughs> as far as yeah. how the music industry worked. Like, think about the, the record labels of the day. They owned the music industry, and uh, right. they owned the records. And the, if, if the dead went that way, which they did slightly, but they had control of it, they would not well, have... Well, no, they, yeah. started, they started their own record label. Well, well, there you go. So it's like, it's... They, uh, they, said, they said, well, you know, we can operate within the system or we can, we can create our own. And so um, they created their own record label. And they were one of the very few bands that actually controlled their master tapes. In other words, they owned the recording itself. Uh, and, and almost every other band signed that, that away. Um, so when a record was put out by a record company, it was just the record that was put out. That's all they owned. They didn't own the master tapes to be able to create more product off the back of it. But the Grateful Dead owned their masters. So, And they also then created their own. They didn't do all of their records through their own label, but they did, I think, four or five of them. Um, and and they could control all aspects of it. Did you ask the guys at all when you were when you're interviewing them about... Uh... Uh, you, you know, I, I just picture a, a bunch of guys uh, sitting in the front stoops at Haight-Ashbury, uh, <clears throat> you know, smoking weed and, you know, just making great music. But they had such a tactical, uh, pointed business acumen. Did you ever ask them about that, where that came from? Or did they have mentors at there? Or was it just uh, no, common they... sense? They 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 laughed. They said, "I can't. We can't believe you wrote written this book because we last thing we ever thought about was marketing and business." They basically just said, "What makes sense for the fans?" And that's the way they operated. They didn't operate. They didn't. They absolutely did not operate about what's going to make us the most money. They absolutely did not operate about what's going to be the easiest. They did not. They absolutely did not operate based on what their the experts and the advisors told them. In fact, they were they often had a knee jerk reaction that whatever people advise them to do, they would do the opposite. Um, they were all about what makes most sense for the fans, and um, and and that was that was the way they operated. And what was amazing was that that tended to 
be the right thing to do to maximize those other things. You know, they, if, if, if they had done something else to try to maximize revenue, I don't think they would have been nearly as successful. Um, because because they were focused on what was right for the fans, the money flowed from that. Well, David, you um, you're a perfect uh, example of a guest that we like on this show because we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to uh, movement makers and disruptors. I feel that your disruption uh, spirit is very similar to the guys of the dead. And your new uh, book, your new book, the new rules of sales and service, uh, just even in the title, the new rules i.e. the old is gone, it's thrown out the back window, the way the, the dead threw the music industry out the back window. As we wrap up, why don't we just, uh, let's throw a little bit of props to your new project and, uh, and, and why don't you give us the, what we call in Canada, the Coles Notes. <laughs> sure. So um, New Rules of Sales and Service brand new book came out in um, September 2014. And it's basically the idea that the ways that people buy have changed. You know, the ways that we research products and services is utterly different than it was just say even 10 years ago. You know, the first thing you do when you need a new product or service, you go to Google or you go to your, um, uh, you go to your social networks and, and ask your friends and colleagues and family members um, for advice about a product or service you might want to buy. Hey, you know, I want to buy a new mountain bike. So I go to Google, I type in mountain bike, or I go to Amazon, type in mountain bike, or I, or I ask my friends what kind of mountain bike do you have them thinking about buying one? Do you like it or not? And so we end up doing tons of research before we even get to the point where we might even consider talking to a salesperson. And then when we do, we're armed with all sorts of information. So it's a completely new world when it comes to selling. And so I wrote the book to outline what these tremendous changes mean for people who either run businesses or entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, or those who are sales um, professionals, and what it means when the buyer is armed with tons of information, what it means when they're 80% down the path of the sales cycle by the time they're ready to buy, uh, so, sorry, by the time they're ready to engage with a salesperson. And sadly, what I see are still companies where most of the salespeople are still, you know, cold calling, you know, and, and, and that's just not as effective as understanding that people are looking for you and figuring out um, how you can engage them when the time is right, rather than trying to, you know, manufacture a new business by, um, you know, calling everybody on a list. Um, and so much like the Grateful Dead book and the other nine books I've written, I, I do it focused on a lot of different stories about success and what companies are doing a good job and what companies aren't. And um, interestingly, um, I used Grateful Dead style marketing to promote this book. I, I created a slide share. It's on, uh, SlideShare is a great social tool uh, to, to create and distribute pr uh, PowerPoint presentations. So my SlideShare is called the New Rules of Selling, the New Rules of Selling. And so just Google that phrase, the New Rules of Selling, and you'll find it. Um, uh, I put it out in early September, and the last time I checked, it had almost 120,000 views. And it's, it's a, 180 slides and it, I give away the secrets of the book. <laughs> Every, you know, all the good stuff that's in the book is for free on that SlideShare. With it has no registration requirements, completely and totally free. So, want to get an idea of the book? Go to um, my SlideShare New Rules of Selling. If you like what you see, maybe you want to buy the book and check it out, or or maybe that'll give you enough information. But uh, again, it's Grateful Dead style marketing in that I'm giving away tons of information and, and hoping that a few people might want to buy the book. And in fact, they are buying the book. It's it's doing very well on right. its launch. Yeah, I was just going to ask. I was curious about that. But that is fabulous to hear. So, I mean, I'm certainly going to check that out. And it's so neat to hear you, you know, um, basically embodying what you're um, espousing through the, the your previous book. Yeah, it's um, it, it's absolutely these ideas work. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's I didn't do the I don't do these books thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to write a few books and you know maybe give a few speeches. I mean, this stuff freaking works. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely remarkable. We're in a new world. The way people buy products has absolutely changed. And, you know, trying to convince people you have a good book doesn't work. Giving them a whole bunch of completely free information so that 80% or 90% of them already have enough seems so, un 
so counterintuitive to almost everybody. I mean, why would you give away all the secrets to your book in a free document that anybody can access with no registration? Well, the reason is because 118,000 people have seen that. If just 5% of them want to buy the book, uh, and in fact, it's probably been more than that. Um, you know, I've sold a lot more books than I would have sold if I, if I, if I tried to hoard the information. Mm. And, 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 how, and how many people are going to be contacting you to speak? And how many more people know about you? And, yeah, and, and, and I've had three people who booked me to speak as a direct result of the slide share. The big question is how many downloads uh, or, or how many people access the slide share from Japan? Ah, now this is a good question, <laughs> and I haven't I haven't sold the um, the Japanese rights ah, to the okay. book yet, but um, <laughs> that'll be interesting. <laughs> I know it's yeah yeah. Hey, hey, in closing, David, this is um, but one one more Japanese yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. my, my wife my wife's in Japan right now. She is Japanese. Um, she's launching her one of her new books there. She's also a writer. Um, but this week, uh, my ninth book comes out in the Japanese language. My ninth book is called Marketing the Moon. It's about the Apollo Moon Program, oh, cool. and um, yeah, so. Marketing the Moon is, I, I alluded to the fact that I've done two books where there was one organization that I wrote the entire book around. So Marketing Lesson and the Grateful Dead is one. Marketing the Moon is a second about the marketing and public relations aspects of the Apollo Moon program. So that book comes out in Japanese this week, which is really exciting. And something even more exciting to me is I sold the movie rights to that book. So nice. it's yeah, it's going to be a feature film. Robert Stone, I don't know if you've ever run across Robert, because I know you guys do films, um, uh, is doing um, a full-length feature documentary on, uh, based on our books. So that's very – and his last three films premiered at Sundance. So that's very exciting for us. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank that you. Is free. Oh, that is awesome. And well, actually, we may, we may have an astronaut as a guest coming up. Oh, in, that's right. In, well, he's already said yes. So uh, Commander uh, Chris Hatfield, uh, his Oh, people, he's, uh, he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah he's, so so he's going to be uh, one of our guests on Bowling Point. And, uh, oh, terrific. Yeah, so, uh, so we'll mention your book to him. Yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, yeah, please do that. Please do that, because I know a, a, num a number of the other astronauts love it. I know um, uh, we the, the forward to the Marking the Moon was written by um, Gene Cernan. He's the last man to walk on the moon. So the, the astronauts love this book. Oh, wow, this, well this is cool. So listen, whenever you're ready to do a uh, some other sort of marketing book on fish, make sure I take along <laughs> as long as your documentary filmmaker, okay? You got it. You got it. <laughs> hey, and, and, uh, go ahead, David. Uh, I was going to say, please, please send me the the link to the Estonia film if you have done a chance. Donna, Donna, sent it ten minutes ago. Yeah, he was oh, he great. was he was working away while I, you and I were chatting. He was uh, oh. he was listening though. Um, Multitasking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so so in, in in part in closing, I would love it if you asked Greg an obscure Grateful Dead question, <laughs> um, just to stump him a bit, you know, because I think you had him on the record label, like, huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he, all right. Know. So he's been, he's just been... Then like, again, the record label, uh, I got confused with distribution <laughs> because, uh, you, you know, the, it's, it's uh, you no. got the big boys, well, let's, distributors. Let's, let's leave it to David. He, what's, it, what's a question that, that a true deadhead would, would know the answer to? Oh, you know, I, that's always a tough one because I can never answer those questions. Um, what year did the great Grateful Dead go to Egypt. 67? No, it would have been, um, it would have been I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. I, 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 I've, got, I've got one for you. I've got one for it you. Was actually, it was 1978. And the, only reason, and the only reason I asked that question was because um, I was um, sitting at a, a party with Billy Kreutzman, one of the drummers from the Grateful Dead, and somebody was, was talking to him about the Egypt thing. And he looked, looked at this guy and goes, I don't remember a goddamn thing about Egypt. Did I go there? And, <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, this guy was quizzing him and asking him all these obscure details. And he goes, I don't know. How, the hell should How I would know? I remember that shit? Come How on. I remember Jeez. that. It was just a concert. Well, listen, you, you mentioned Donna Gutshaw earlier. Uh, and here's my, my quick quiz back to you. His, uh, her, Donna's son plays in a really cool band. Do you know the name of that band? Ow, no idea. It's, they're called Boombox, and you got to check them out tonight. And oh, when, a, when you hear really his good. his guitar playing, it's yeah. Jerry. Like you could tell that that this guy who was behind Boombox, he's he's definitely getting his influences from the right places. Really cool electronic beats. Check oh, them cool. out, Boombox. Da David, thanks for this, man. Really appreciate it. I know that oh, we'll uh, cross you. paths again sometime soon. And best of luck Great. with the new book. Yeah. Thank you, very much, guys. Take yeah. care. Thanks so much. See you, David. Bye bye. Bye. He tried to stump me. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, well, a little, uh, little, little right back at you. Come well, on. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, that was great. I've, I, I've been really waiting for David to get oh on my our, God. our That our guy call. is amazing, man. Fantastic. And his oh. book is phenomenal. I read it in one airplane trip. I think I was actually... I was, You're flying to Hong Kong, right? No, I actually hours. was... I was flying to L.A. on that particular trip, and I remember tweeting him right when I got off. I said, just finished reading the book. Awesome. Did he you respond know. to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's cool. Well, we met, like I said. Um, he. Oh, this is after you had met him? After I met him, I because I, and I then read the book right after, and it was it was fantastic. It was so funny in that room filled with business people, right. and he, he just randomly said, not randomly, there was a lead up to it, but he's like, so how many deadheads are in the, in the audience? And a few people put their hands up. And how many people have seen the dead or a variation of them? Of course, I put my hand, I was the only person. And, uh, and uh, I was like, I, I, in fact, I even tweeted that. I was like, this is the first time I finally got a prize for being a hippie, for being a, <laughs> being a deadhead. You know, I was, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, was, I felt so good. And I was like, this is, this is kick-ass. It's good to know there's other deadheads out there that, uh, that are spreading the good word. My takeaway, uh, it is just so absolutely clear. It's building that community. As, as a business, as an entrepreneur, we cannot look at our customers as people who are going to give us money in exchange for our service. We have to look at those customers as our community that we are a part of. We are, you know, we are one whole community. And if we treat them as people in the same ballroom, you know, playing and listening to the same music, we're all in the same thing. Um, mm. We're going to treat them a little bit different. And the companies that figure that out, their community become their brand ambassadors and they, they will they'll to the grave uh, market that company for you. Uh, it's as simple as that. And that's, that's the basis of his book and that would be my big takeaway. Uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> actually I had a, a light bulb moment and he said about trusting your customers and tr- and I mean, and, and I don't know, it was a combination of a bunch of things. I just thought, you know what? There's um, there's barriers to, to, to getting our service and I got a, I, and I actually believe I have a way to, to remove some of those barriers. So that was that was inspiring, man. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I just you know I just and actually so and the other thing that I mean I want to go read his stuff so I, I know I know a lot more. But he's like he's like, I love his storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like you know him. Like I like I feel like I know him. Like I've like, yeah. I, like someone that you know not someone I'm just meeting over the over the phone here or I guess the Skype. Um, but the other is I think we should I think we got a couple more interviews coming out of this, this the, yeah. the surfboard company in Maine which and you know I held one of the, one of their surfboards in my hand 2 Jeez. weeks ago beautiful in fact, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to save up my cash yeah. or convince my beautiful wife to get me a Christmas present so I can go down. And she's not listening to this, so someone will She never to listens to her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you know what? Actually, Jessica's a faithful listener. Oh, she, she listens to our podcast. Uh, hey, Jess. hey, babe. How Love are you. you? <laughs> um, so, and the other is um, of the, the, the comp- the, his co-author and the company that went public. I'd love... Yeah, HubSpot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like those guys, I'm going to use my word. They're epic. They're iconic. Yeah. HubSpot is... Perfect. like, And they are massive content uh, generator uh, creators. But they're a service company, so you know. So, sorry, a software company. It's a it's a really neat example of let's, a company that gives, 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 gives. Yeah. I hope they don't change if they're not publicly traded. Yeah. Well, do you want? Let's talk to the uh, the owner about that yeah. or the uh, the CEO. Yeah. That would be a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I love that. So, um, let's make it happen. So, so I I think that uh, last. Oh, yeah. oh, so I was just going to end with this. Yeah. Good. Um, when did uh, Jerry Garcia grow his beard? What year? Well, you know, it's interesting because I have seen pre-Griffle Dead, back in the day when they were the Warlocks, even previous to that, there oh. were pictures of Jerry without, uh, in his bluegrass days without a beard. It's rare. Very rare. He was definitely the bearded man. Oh, you're laughing. You think I didn't know the answer to that? Come on. Uh, <laughs> so here, here's, my, here's my thought. I think that uh, instead of our... Uh, I think uh, just kind of like we did the other day, we we need a Grateful Dead song kind of underneath us right now. And I, I Matt, oh, Matt, Matt our producer, I think you should. Uh, why don't you roll Ripple, uh, R- Ripple, Matt, uh, Ripple by the Grateful Dead. I was thinking Ripple. Were you thinking Ripple? Yes. Here, let, let's do this over again. Let make it your idea. And okay. So what I think we should do is have a little background, you know, kind of rolling in right here. And I believe we should use Ripple. What do you think? Let's sing. Let's sing a verse. Well, Ripple you know, what? I don't want. I don't want still to. water <laughs> where there is no pebble. Toss, See you next week. No on the boiling point. To blow. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. As it were your own 
it's a hand-me-down But our hearts are broken Perhaps they're better left unsung I don't know Don't really care Let there be songs To fill the air Ripple in still water When there is no pebble tossed No wind to blow Reach out your hand If your cup be empty If your cup is full, may it be again, let it be known. There is a fountain that was not made by the hands of men. There is a road, no simple highway. Between the dawn and the dark of night And if you go, no one may follow That path is for your steps alone No pebble tossed, no wind to blow. You choose to lead, must follow. But if you fall, you fall alone. If you should stand, then who's to guide you? If I knew the way, I would take you home. La da da da, la da 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 da, la da da, la da 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 Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.